Ow! Don't hit the play button so hard. Sorry, it's me, Tony Martin. Happy New Year, everybody. It's just me, in the booth, on my own. It's unplugged. What's unplugged, you're saying? Well, if you've just started listening to Sizzletown, this is something we do every January so that Matt Dow can have a holiday. It's, um, well, maybe I'll let Twitter explain what it is because um, not everyone likes the unplugged episodes. Quite a few bad reviews here. This is one from Mario P.S. His wife, not a fan of the show. Normal Sizzletown is just me saying fuck for half an hour uh, and doing the odd obvious fart joke, she says. Obvious fart jokes, as opposed to the subtle ones you might hear on the ABC. But anyway, uh, Mario writes, uh, this is from January 7, last year. Listening to and loving the latest Sizzletown, halfway through, the wife bursts in and says, Can they tell if anyone's listened all the way through? Is this a bet? He's reading a fucking list. Unquote. Wow, she doesn't mind saying fuck around the house. Just doesn't want to hear it in her podcasts. Maybe she was dropping a couple of farts as she came in. You listening to that show again? All right. That should give you some idea what it is. It's an indulgence. We don't have a sponsor. It is me just reading out a list, a very long list in this instance, then playing an old sketch from the 1900s, and finally reading out one of me old stories. So if that sounds like your idea of fun, hang in there. I'll just uh, play this doorbell and we'll meet you on the other side. I should explain, um, I don't have access to Matt's encyclopedia of noises, so I'm using this vintage Beavis and Butthead talking figurine. I am Cornolio! <laughs> to punctuate proceedings as we uh, go through, yes, the list. That's what we do. Uh, back in the first one of these, way back in 2019... I found a diary. Well, it's not really a diary. It's just a list of every film I've ever seen, the name of the director, and how many stars I gave it at the time. So we're continuing with that. It's not for everyone, but uh, many of you keep saying, when are you going to do 1986? And maybe you can think back to what you were doing in 1986. I said this to a friend of mine recently. What were you doing? He goes, I wasn't born. So obviously some of you will be in that category, but older people may remember what movies you saw and what you thought of them at the time. Now, there's quite a lot of them, I'm afraid, because it turns out... I haven't looked at this list, by the way. We do this live on mic, so I have no idea what's going to happen. All I know is that I saw 67, a mere 67 films at the cinema in 1986... But, and this is the bad news, 121 movies on VHS. Whoa, check it out. This was the height 
of the uh, video shop era. Now, what was I doing in 1986? Well, I started the year living in Brisbane. I was still working for FM 104 or Triple M as it's now known, writing ads and promos, doing silly voices. And then sometime in the middle of the year, I moved to Melbourne to start working at the ABC comedy department back when there was such a thing. So yeah, that was my story. Let's see what films I was watching. Uh, Too late, I'm afraid. Let's get started. The first film I saw in 1986 was Young Sherlock Holmes. Three stars, directed by Barry Levinson. Oh, who did Diner. That would have been why I went to see it. Um, What do I remember about that? I can't remember who played Young Sherlock Holmes. I think this was the first film to have a fully CGI character. That was the big gimmick. It was the, uh, the stained glass man who came to life. It was unimpressive then, probably more so now. But maybe he should come back, get his own standalone vehicle. National Lampoon's European Vacation, Amy Heckling, only two stars. Wasn't very good, was it? I did like the bit where Chevy Chase is doing the uh, thigh-slapping, you know, Lederhausen dance. That might still work. Then I saw Fletch... For the second time, and I remember this, it was because uh, in Brisbane it was like a 49-degree day and everyone just swarmed to the air-conditioned cinemas. But happy to see Fletch again. Um, Out of Africa, wasn't impressed by that. Best picture of the year, two stars from me. (laughs) (laughs) Summer Rental, a Carl Reiner film, one star. That was, uh, oh, that was John Candy. That's right, they were just knocking out four or five John Candies a year at that time. Jagged Edge, Richard Marquand, director of uh, Return of the Jedi. Three stars. Now, I remember this. This was um, Glenn Close and uh, Jeff Bridges. And (laughs) I remember I saw this in the cinema and there was a near riot at the end because the final shot of the film reveals who the bad guy was, but I don't want to spoil it, but whoever it is, they were upside down, so they were like the shot of them was of them on the ground, so their head is kind of upside down. It was really dark, and you couldn't tell who it was, and the audience were furious. People were racing down to the box office. Can you wind it back? No, they couldn't. Anyway, that's Jagged Edge. Plenty. Fred Skepsy film, three stars. I think that was Meryl Streep. Don't know anything about it. That was maybe a dry run for Evil Angels. Was she doing the voice? I can't remember. Marie, God, what was that? Roger Donaldson from New Zealand. That was probably just me supporting a local boy made good. Two stars. Sissy Spacek, I think, might have been. Marie. Can't remember who Marie was or what she did. Oh, Lockie Hume won't be impressed. Spies Like Us, two stars. Yeah, that's right. Only two. What's going on there? Seem to remember thinking wasn't as good as Ghostbusters. It was a bit old-fashioned, more like a sort of Bob Hope, Bing Crosby film. Anyway, I don't know if that's considered a classic film. I know that Paul McCartney video is even worse now than when it came out. Agnes of God was a film 
by Norman Jewison that I've given four stars. Can't remember anything about it except perhaps a nun who chain-smoked. I'm remembering that. Possibly Anne Bancroft or Glenn Close. Uh, One of them. Clue. Now, this is the movie of Cluedo. Of course, the board game is called Clue in America. Uh, I think that's a cult film now. I thought it was terrible, gave it one star. I've then seen Annie Hall for the third time. Jewel of the Nile, the sequel to Romancing the Stone, has only got two stars. I remember Max uh, Walker interviewing um, Danny DeVito on the morning show and he kept calling it Jewel Up the Nile. How'd you go filming Jewel Up the Nile? Repo Man, four stars. There's now a beautiful Criterion Blu-ray of that and it looks, ooh, very nice. Who is that photographer? Robbie Mueller. Yeah, great. Loved Repo Man. Down and Out in Beverly Hills, two stars. Enemy Mine, Wolfgang Peterson, the bloke who did Das Boot. Only three stars for that. Oh, The Gods Must Be Crazy. Three stars. Now, that was a real thing in the 80s, wasn't it? Driving out to the suburbs to a school hall or somewhere that wasn't a proper cinema where they would just set up a projector and uh, screen this film. I think it was from South Africa, possibly, maybe Botswana. And the whole thing was like an off-the-grid, independent projection, Albie Mangle-style deal. And the film, I think, involved a Coca-Cola bottle falling out of the sky and hitting someone in the head and hijinks ensued. Kiss of the Spider Woman, Hector Babenko, four stars. Now, I think William Hurt won the Oscar for Best Actor for that. And that's a film you never see now. I don't think you can even get it. Could be wrong. Uh, Rumblefish, I saw that at the Brisbane Film Festival, three stars. Black and white. Who was in that? Mickey Rourke, when he still had a normal face. Uh, Stuart Copeland did the soundtrack. Who sang that song? The guy who sang, I'm on a Mexican radio. Whoever that was, I think he did the theme song. Uh, A private function, three stars. That was with Michael Palin. We'd go off to see anything that had someone from Monty Python and if it didn't have an enormous fat man vomiting everywhere, we'd go, nah, not as good. Wildcats. Michael Ritchie. What the fuck was Wildcats? Oh, God. Michael Ritchie. He generally did sports comedies by this time, so I'm guessing that's uh, baseball or football. Was it Goldie Horn? Could be. It might have been Bette Midler. No, I think it was Goldie Horn. But anyway, uh, one star. Crocodile Dundee, three stars now. This was a big deal at the time. I'm from New Zealand, had no idea who uh, Paul Hogan was. And, uh, yeah, I seem to remember it going down very well. Very slow film, but sort of enjoyably slow. Can't imagine what it must look like now. After that... I've seen one of my favourite comedies of all time, Lost in America, Albert Brooks, five stars. I saw that at the Village Twin in uh, New Farm and half the audience 
walked out. They were so furious that Julie Haggerty lost all of Albert Brooks's money or their money at the casino that they stormed out. <laughs> but of course, that led to perhaps the best single scene Albert Brooks has ever done when he tries to talk the casino owner into giving their money back. Still one of my favourites. Absolute Beginners, not one of my favourites. Julian Temple, two stars. That was a big budget uh, British musical. All I remember is David Bowie dancing on a giant typewriter. Spies Like Us, despite not enjoying it, I've seen it again. Now, last year this happened. People were going, why, if he hated that film, did he go a second time? And I realise why. It's because Spies Like Us I would have seen as a uh, preview at the radio station. And then, of course, the girlfriend's gone, well, we have to go and see it at the cinema because she hadn't been to the preview. So I've uh, sat through Spies Like Us again. I think there's some good farting near the beginning. It's been a long time since I saw it. The official story, Louis Puenzo, three stars. That's an Argentinian film that I can recall nothing about. Political upheavals, I'm guessing. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, one star. I remember liking the original and thinking this was shit. But it is directed by Jack Shoulder, who won me back when he made The Hidden with Kyle MacLachlan. Hannah and her sisters, Woody Allen, well, of course, I've given that five stars because that's what you did back in those days. I've seen Choose Me after that, an Alan Rudolph film. I remember going way out into the suburbs in Brisbane to see this double feature, and I've given Choose Me five stars, which I'm sure I would not do now. That's with Keith Carradine, Genevieve Bujold, probably the best of the Alan Rudolphs. Uh, Teddy Pendergrass doing the soundtrack. I'm sure, I don't even know if you can get Choose Me anymore, but I've seen it on a double feature with Creator, directed by Ivan Parser. That's only been given two stars. That starred Peter O'Toole and who was that bloke who was always in things in the 80s? Oh, God. Spano. Vincent Spano. Remember when you'd say, let's go and see a Vincent Spano. Uh, the Money Pit. Richard Benjamin. Is that a classic? I don't know if it is. I've only given it two stars. I seem to remember the bit where all the scaffolding goes, falls over, and there's sort of a, a kind of Rube Goldberg-esque sequence of visual gags. I remember that bit being really good. Uh, oh, I've been to Hannah and her sisters for a second time. And then Runaway Train, Andrei Konchalovsky, the uh, Russian filmmaker who moved to America and made Tango and Cash. And Runaway Train, that was Eric Roberts and John Voight on a runaway train. And uh, I think they were both Oscar nominated for a kind of action movie. That was unusual at the time. Anyway, three stars from me. FX, Murder by Illusion with Brian Brown. Three stars. I think by now I must be in Melbourne because so I think I saw that at the Russell Street Cinemas. After Hours, Martin Scorsese. That's just come out on Criterion. Still great. Five stars. 
The Quiet Earth. Jeff Murphy, that's, of course, a New Zealand classic with Bruno Lawrence. The story was always that uh, Jack Nicholson was going to star in it uh, for free because he'd been so impressed by Bruno Lawrence in uh, Smash Palace. I think he'd said, I don't know if this is true, but the story we heard was that he said it was the single best performance he'd ever seen in a film and uh, was going to star in um, Quiet Earth. And then I don't know what happened. I think Witches of Eastwick went over. Anyway, Bruno Lawrence ended up playing the role himself. The first part of the movie is um, set in like downtown Auckland and, uh, you know, it's the end of the world so there's no one around and there were a lot of cruel jokes I remember from people saying, I've just shot that on the weekend. (laughs) Anyway, uh, enough of that. The Trip to Bountiful, three stars. Was that Geraldine Page? I can't remember. I think she might have won an Oscar for that. This is Spinal Tap, seeing that for the second time. Still giving it five stars. Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, directed by Brian Gibson now. I remember seeing this at the Elstonwick Classic. I remember it being not very good, but there was a guy in it who is incredibly scary. Who was it? Was it William Hickey? No, it was someone from like the world of theatre. It's worth looking up this guy because he is fantastic. And if I recall, he was, um, this is horrible, he was dying of cancer and he insisted on still appearing in the film. He didn't look well, but it made the performance incredibly spooky. Can't remember that guy's name. The vi- he was like an evil vicar in Poltergeist 2. He is outstanding, that bloke. Big Trouble in Little China, given that three stars. Commentary track from that's very funny, if I recall, with Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. I've obviously been to the Valhalla here because I've seen the famous double feature of Robot Monster and Plan 9 from Outer Space again. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I remember seeing that at the Russell Street Greater Union. I've given that four stars. I think we were all very impressed by Ferris Bueller at the time. But having listened to Gilbert Gottfried, the late Gilbert Gottfried on his podcast, say, he's an asshole, many times I'm wondering whether it still holds up. Uh, Akira Kurosawa's Ran, or Ran, oh gee, is it just Ran? I don't know, it's R-A-N. Only three stars, but then I've been to see Ruthless People with Danny DeVito and given that four. But I do remember Ruthless People absolutely bringing the house down and it was mainly because of... um, Danny DeVito does a fantastic speech at the very start of the film. It's just got a great premise. His wife gets kidnapped and he doesn't want to pay the ransom. Just a great comedy premise. wonder if it still works. At Close Range with Christopher Walken, James Foley, three stars. Psycho 3, directed by Anthony Perkins, only two stars for that. Malcolm, oh yes, a Melbourne classic. Only given it three, though. I remember really liking Malcolm. Highlander. Oh, dear. One star. Russell Mulcahy. Never a fan. Clockwise. What's clockwise? Two stars. Christopher 
Morahan. Is that with John Cleese? That's that's like the one we thought would be really funny and wasn't, and then Fish Called Wanda came out and was. I think that's what that was. Aliens. How many stars do you reckon I give Aliens? Five stars, of course. We're all going to fucking die. Sorry, that's... Was that... I don't even know if that's what he says. I just remember Bill Paxton in really top-shelf cowardly mode. Um, Shortchanged, directed by George Ogilvie, Australian film. Only two stars, but I do remember Mark Little, who was huge at the time on the comedy circuit, uh, was in the film and found a way to incorporate some of his famous impressions of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and a lighthouse into the movie itself. I was very impressed by that at the time. Can't remember uh, anything else about the film. Then I've been to see some Buster Keatons. Now, this presumably would have been at the Valhalla and possibly with the old uh, live musical accompaniment. I've seen The Navigator, five stars. Our Hospitality, only four stars. That should probably be five. Le Grand Boeuf, okay. Now... When I was a kid, I remember uh, our art teacher telling us about this film. It was a French film directed by Marco Ferreri. And it was about a bunch of blokes who decide to eat themselves to death. And it's disgusting. I remember one bloke shits his pants at one time and you're going, they didn't need to show that. Uh, the Fly, the remake with Jeff Goldblum. Uh, four stars, David Cronenberg. Defense of the Realm, David Drury. I've no idea what that was. Three stars. The Mosquito Coast, Peter Weir film. Only two stars. I remember liking the book. It was one of those. Oh, not as good as the book. Monsieur Hulot's Holiday. Okay, now this is, uh, this is the first time I've seen these Jacques Tartis. Been along to the Aster, if I recall. Monsieur Hulot, four stars, and Mononc, also four stars. A Z and two noughts. Oh, God. Remember in the 80s, it was just, you had to trundle along to see all these terrible Peter Greenaway films. I've given that one one star. Uh, Mona Lisa. I saw that at the, uh, whatever the cinema was in, uh, in South Yarra. Oh, God, I can't remember. But I've given it four stars. Armed and Dangerous, Mark L. Lester. Oh, oh okay. This was uh, a comedy with John Candy and Eugene Levy. Love both of those guys from SCTV, but I've given it one star. I remember sitting in the Hoyts Mid-City, and I don't think there was a single laugh throughout that film. Labyrinth. There's a classic, three stars. Seem to recall shortly afterwards, I've gone along to some kind of fancy dress as David Bowie in Labyrinth. Sadly, there are no photographs. Three Amigos, three stars. What do I remember about three? I just remember everyone started using the word plethora <laughs> after seeing that film. Uh... Howard the Duck. Okay, one star, of course. Now, see, it says Howard the Duck, but, of course, Howard the Duck was a big flop, rightly so, in America, 
And I remember when it was released in Australia, it wasn't called Howard the Duck. It was called Howard dot, 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 a new breed of hero. It was like they thought if they could lose the duck, maybe people would think it was a different film. And he was only seen in silhouette. But you're going, that's a duck. That's clearly a duck smoking a cigar. And finally, the last film I saw at cinemas was Star Trek IV Voyage Home, directed by Leonard Nimoy, four stars. I seem to recall because there was a lot of comedy in it. Isn't that the one where they go to, like, present-day San Francisco? And I remember them getting onto a bus, like Kirk and Spock, they get onto a bus and then they get off the bus and Mr. Spock says, what does it mean, correct change? Huge laugh. Huge laugh in the cinema. All right, those are the films I saw on the big screen. If there's anyone still listening, a much longer list is about to happen. What the hell is this crap? But just before we do that, I think we need to have a song. So I found one here from episode 28 of Sizzletown, way back in 2019, when Matt and myself attempted to explain what the show is. It's a podcast of a late-night talkback show. Hey, Matt Dower, are there any callers? No. Then I guess we'll have to hear your sound effects. Please don't tell me that there's only three to choose from. No, there's not. There's and, 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 and. Wow, what a great selection, but that's a deflection from the fact that you're a one-man woodwind section. What? Yes, it's true that Matt Dower is an accomplished flautist. Here he is on multiple recorders. Everybody, join in on your recorders at home. And we're back. And during that song, I looked up the name of the bloke from Poltergeist 2. He was Julian Beck. Very interesting man, worth uh, investigating on the Wikipedia. All right, these are all the films I saw uh, on video in 1986. I've rented them from various video shops in the New Farm area in Brisbane. Yeah, I remember uh, accidentally pulling out the laminated card for a rival shop a few times. Always the look of disappointment. That's not us, mate. Good to know you're seeing other shops. Anyway, there's so many on this list. We're going to race through them. Uh, Firstly, I saw Absence of Malice with Paul Newman, Motel Hell and Sleuth, the original. All got three stars. Continental Divide. That was uh, John Belushi doing proper acting. Just two stars from me. Oh, and then Dan Aykroyd in Dr. Detroit. One star. It's really quite poor. I know you like the Devo song, but seriously, have another look. Apocalypse Now gets five stars. Imagine seeing that for the first time on VHS, but uh, that's what I did sitting in my flat in New Farm. 
Uh, I think I talk about this in a book. We couldn't afford any furniture. We had a bed that we sat on and an ironing board that we ate dinner off and, of course, a TV and a rented VHS. SOB, that's the film where Julie Andrews goes topless and it's really quite uncomfortable. Only two stars. Under the Rainbow, that's a terrible Chevy Chase with... uh, Loads of munchkins from uh, Wizard of Oz. One star. The Woman in Red. Huge hit, if I remember. Gene Wilder. One star. Smash Palace. Mentioned that earlier. The New Zealand Kramer versus Kramer. That got four stars. Ordeal by Innocence. Desmond Davis. One star. I think that's something with um, Donald Sutherland. An extremely annoying jazz soundtrack, if I recall. Eye of the Needle, also Donald Sutherland in period attire. Three stars for that one and only two stars for The Missionary. Yet another, why isn't it as funny as Monty Python film with someone from Monty Python? The Godfather Part 2, five stars, of course, also seen for the first time on VHS. That's sad. Taps. Not the sequel to Tap with Gregory Hines. Taps, I think, is a Naval Academy boredom. Uh, One star. I think Tom Cruise might have been in that one. Uh, Paris, Texas, I did like. Four stars. Also out on the criterion for you snobs out there. Escape from New York only gets three stars. I mean, I like Escape from New York, but it's better recalled than actually seen. Uh, The Conversation. Another classic, five stars. The Medusa Touch, not a classic. That's Richard Burton towards the end where he's just drinking his way through films like uh, Exorcist 2. One star for that. The Disappearance, yet another Donald Sutherland. I must have been on a Donald Sutherland bender, but only one star for that. Taxi Driver, five stars. Food of the Gods. What was that? Oh, that's um, Bert I. Gordon, one star. I think that's a giant rats movie. When I say giant rats, I mean normal size rats running around amidst matchbox cars and cardboard buildings. If I remember, there was a sequel to Food of the Gods like many years later in the 80s, and it was called Gnaw. <laughs> G-N-A-W, Gnaw. Food of the Gods too. Terrible title. Uh, the Falcon and the Snowman, John Schlesinger. Four stars for that. I think Sean Penn was the standout in that one. A Shot in the Dark, the best of the Inspector Clouseau's. Five stars, of course. <laughs> As opposed to The Deer Hunter, which only gets three stars and can't have looked very good on VHS. The Dead Zone. Another Cronenberg, three stars. A Night at the Opera, the uh, Marx Brothers, four stars, despite the musical interludes. 2010, remember that? Someone actually tried to make a sequel to 2001, and I can't remember anything about it except it was Roy Scheider, and it was just like a normal science fiction film. Two stars, four stars for Serpico, five stars for Once Upon a Time, in America, the last Sergio Leone film. I should say it does have some rape scenes that are very hard to sit through. 
Uh, so, yeah, five stars, but be careful with that one. Turk182, one star. Timothy Hutton. Remember when he would be starring in films? I seem to remember that Turk182 was like the last film at the video shop. <laughs> it was always the one no one rented. Dune, the original Dune. I only gave it one star. It would have looked terrible on VHS, and I think we were all disappointed. But, you know, I saw that recent one, and it's beautifully made. But I'm looking at Timothy Chalamet, and I'm going, you know what? Bring back the floating, pussy, fat guy, and let's see him slap Timothy Chalamet about. That's what I want to see. Uh, The Mean Season, that's something with possibly Kurt Russell. Only got two stars. The Flamingo Kid, two stars. Sudden Impact. That's the Dirty Harry film where he says, go ahead, make my day, isn't it? Do you feel lucky, punk? That's the first one. I think go ahead, make my day is Sudden Impact, the fourth one. One star. I've given that. The Groove Tube, three stars. Now, the Groove Tube is a classic of its time. I can't imagine that it would look that great now. I'm guessing it's one of those films that your dad would go, oh, we pissed ourselves in the 70s at this, and you put it on, and your kids are looking at you like you've just been cancelled. Pennies from Heaven, Herbert Ross, the movie version of the uh, classic TV show. I've given it three stars. It's a very grim film, if I recall, but the musical numbers are sensational, especially the one with Christopher Walken. The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai. Well, that was a classic VHS release. I've given it three stars. Had a look at it recently. It's a lot of fun. But the sad thing about it is that they hired Jordan Cronenworth. I think that's how you say his name. He was the man who photographed Blade Runner. And then for some reason, they fired him. And there's only one scene, I think, in the film that's photographed by him. It's the uh, scene with the band in the nightclub. And the photography is sensational. And the rest of the film looks really ordinary by comparison. And you go, why did you fire that bloke? Sorry, we're getting distracted. Uh, Dr. No, the first James Bond film, three stars. That just looks like a TV episode when you see it now. Uh, Goldfinger, now that's a proper Bond film, given that one four. Breathless, the remake with Richard Gere. Tackle Out, if I recall, two stars. Oh, this will be controversial. Two stars only for Straw Dogs. If you've never seen Straw Dogs, imagine a much more violent version of Home Alone. Uh, The Lavender Hill Mob, one of your Ealing comedies, that gets three stars. Johnny Dangerously, which was a sort of Zucker Brothers-ish comedy with Michael Keaton, made by Amy Heckling, that's only two stars. And now... I realise what's going on because if you've ever um, read my book Lolly Scramble, you'll recall an account of a bus trip where I made an enemy of everyone else on the bus because I wanted us to watch Spinal Tap. They had VHSs on the bus and the rest of the bus voted for Six Pack with Keddy Rogers, which, of course, I've given one star. So that must mean I'm on my way to Melbourne. So the first film I've seen in Melbourne on video was The Man from Snowy River, an Australian classic, and I've given it one star. People forget 
that that is an Australian film that nonetheless has not one but two Kirk Douglases. Uh, Raggedy Man, Jack Fisk. Okay, I don't know what that was. It's with Sissy Spacek. I've given it two stars. Three stars for Waterloo. The Sergei, I'll get this wrong, Bonnachuk. Anyway, it's the Russian version of your uh, Napoleon. Three for that one. Looker, Michael Crichton, one star. Krull, Peter Yates. Love Peter Yates, but that's one star. Cat's Eye, two stars. We're racing through them now. Another Stephen King, Christine. I've given that three. Tunnel Vision, that was the poor man's Groove Tube, which was, of course, the poor man's Kentucky Fried Movie. I've given that two. And then I've finally seen a good film, North by Northwest, which I've given five. And then I followed that up with another Michael Crichton, Coma, one star. I think Coma's a bit better than that, isn't it? Might have to have another look at Coma. Uh, Wills and Burke, The Untold Story, the only film directed by Bob Weiss. It only gets one star... But I do remember that was a great idea because there was a big budget sort of uh, proper film about Burke and Wills called Burke and Wills. And some uh, rat bags decided to make a comedy version called Wills and Burke that would come out at the same time. And a great idea, but I appear to have only given it one star. Power, Forgotten Sydney Lumet, one star. Diamonds Are Forever, three stars. A very odd James Bond film, if you haven't seen that lately. Laura, now there's a classic, five stars. Five stars also for Dawn of the Dead. Wow, the second uh, George Romero zombie film. Bloke gets his head chopped off by a helicopter blade, if I recall. Thief, released in New Zealand as Violent Streets. Michael Mann film with James Kahn, given that three. It's got a great uh, Tangerine Dream soundtrack. The Jigsaw Man, atrocious Michael Caine film, one star. Network, there's a classic, five stars. Very loud and blustery, not for all tastes in the uh, 21st century, but I gave it five. Then, this is, <laughs> this is a Tom Eggs film called The Man With One Red Shoe. I've given it two stars. I seem to remember being at a party at some point, maybe in the 90s, and referring to this film called The Man With One Red Shoe, and everyone insisted that I had made it up and that there was never a film called that. And then I explained that it was a remake of a French film called The Tall Blonde Man With One Black Shoe, and I was asked to leave. Uh, It's true, though. Legend, the uh, Ridley Scott film, with uh, Tim Curry as the devil. I think that was the best thing in it. Only two stars. Moving Violations. Of course, we all remember Richard Marsland's fantastic rendition of the theme song. Nonetheless, film itself only gets one star. Strange Invaders. Two stars. Now, this was um, Michael, I think it's pronounced Lachlan. Uh, This was a bloke who had made a film the previous year called Strange Behaviour in New Zealand. One of those films where I think I've referred to it in a previous Unplugged, uh, set in America, but shot in New Zealand. That's always a treat. Uh, It was also called Dead Kids, if I remember. Uh, Strange Invaders only gets two. 
Lonely Hearts, the uh, Paul Cox film. I've given that three. That's one of the rare funny ones from Paul Cox because he co-wrote it with John Clark. And if I recall, John Clark, very funny as a bloke uh, working behind the scenes in an amateur theatre play who's hammering things and making far too much noise during the play. Uh, Doctor, Okay, here we go. I'm seeing some classics. Oh, look, look at this. Okay, here we go. Four five-star films in a row. What a weekend this must have been. Doctor Strangelove, Rosemary's Baby, Antonioni's Blow Up, and Don't Look Now. Four absolute corkers in a row, sadly on VHS. But that run has come to a shuddering stop with Ghost in the Noonday Sun the Peter Sellers disaster made by Peter Medak. Such an awful experience that I think he's made a whole documentary about that. One star, of course. Only three stars for Picnic at Hanging Rock. That'll be controversial. One star for Weird Science. (laughs) Then, oh, another Peter Weir, Gallipoli. Only three stars as well. Four stars for Clute. One star for insignificance. I've obviously seen Don't Look Now and gone, let's see some more Nicholas Rogue, and then I've chose one of his worst ones. Uh, The Pirates of Penzance. Why would I have watched that? Two stars. One star for Peter Sellers' final film, The Fiendish Plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, a film that could never be screened today. Uh, It could barely be screened at the time. I don't know what Restless Natives is. Michael Hoffman. Did he make Soap Dish? I could be completely wrong there. Two stars. Finders Keepers. Oh, one of those sad later Richard Lester's. Only one star. By the way, we're at number 83 if you're playing along at home. I'm assuming most people have switched off by now. But on we go. Uh, The Great Train Robbery. Another Michael Crichton. Three stars. Last Embrace, Jonathan Demme, two stars. Only two stars for Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, oh, this will be very controversial. Only two stars for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. What was I thinking? Isn't that one of the best ones? Five stars for Cabaret, which, uh, yes, I mustn't have seen Cabaret till 1986, although... I would have heard the soundtrack a thousand times because when I was in amateur theatre, at some point later on in the evening after the show was finished and everyone was pissed, on would go the cabaret soundtrack. It's an amateur theatre tradition. Letter to Brezhnev, two stars. The Coca-Cola Kid, one star. That's an Australian film about Eric Roberts working for Coca-Cola, but they're not allowed to use any logos or anything to do with Coca-Cola. So that was quite absurd. I seem to recall the highlight was a topless Greta Scarchi. Uh, Probably cut that bit out. Oh, we can't. Matt's not here. Okay. Sorry about that. On we go. Uh, The Survivors. Another terrible 80s Michael Ritchie. One star. The Adventures of Barry McKenzie. Three stars. Uh, I don't know. The Barry McKenzie, it's one of those films that's far worse and far better than you remember. I do like John Clark's uh, few moments in that film. It's great to see um, 
two of the leading satirists of the time, Peter Cook and John Clark, uh, taking part in a scene where they're pissing on a fire to put it out. Uh, great moments in comedy. Macbeth. Wow. I've given the Roman Polanski Macbeth five stars. I'm assuming that's the first time I've seen any version of Macbeth. It's really quite violent. Uh, Touch of Evil, five stars, of course. Bad Day at Black Rock with a one-armed Spencer Tracy. Very good. Very good indeed. Robert Ryan, fantastic bad guy. Uh, Four stars. The Cars That Ate Paris, another Peter Weir that only gets three stars. House. Steve Miner. Oh, okay, that's, um, that was a, I think there were several of those, weren't there? They were horror movies with uh, William Catt, uh, who you might recall as the greatest American hero. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Was that the song? That's possibly not right. Uh, The Long Good Friday, of course, gets five stars with Bob Hoskins. Farewell, My Lovely. That was one of those um, ill-advised Robert Mitchum remakes of uh, your um, Raymond Chandler. Uh, Lolita, the Kubrick one, four stars, of course. White Nights. What was White Nights? One star. I think that was um, Mikhail Baryshkinov, wasn't it? It's probably defecting ballet dancer in political intrigue, something like that. Paths of Glory, five stars for Stanley Kubrick. No urge to watch it again, though. The Pink Panther, the original, only three stars because, of course, not enough Clouseau. The Hospital, Arthur Hiller's um, film with uh, uh, George C. Scott and Diana Rigg. It's a Paddy Chayefsky film, so it's pretty strong stuff. Four stars. This is frankly exhausting, but we're going to continue. Spellbound, Hitchcock's Spellbound, three stars. The Last Metro. Francois Truffaut's film, often listed as the best French film of the 1980s. I've only given it two. Four stars for Polanski's cul-de-sac and five for his repulsion. Four for A Kind of Loving with Alan Bates. Now, I remember this because uh, (laughs) this is a John Schlesinger film. This is one of those films. I remember... um, I remember making a list of films where someone is looking into a mirror in the medicine chest and they swing it open and if you slow it down one frame at a time on the VHS, you can see the cameraman reflected for just one or two frames. That's one of those. And I think The Fly with Jeff Goldblum might be one of those. There's a great list. uh, What else? I've lost my place. Here we go. The Dogs of War. Can't really recall what that is. Two stars. Police Academy 2, their first assignment. One star. Allegro non troppo. Oh, yes, that was an animated film that uh, everyone used to get stoned to go and see uh, in the 1970s. I've given it three stars. Also three for Brighton Rock, the original, with Richard Attenborough. Notorious gets four stars. The Innocents gets five stars. That is still a sensational movie. Scanners, the exploding head movie, only two stars. Because as I recall, once the head has exploded, it's all downhill from there. 
The Hills Have Eyes gets two stars. Someone else I used to do a very good impression of, the creepy bloke from that film. The General, well, five stars for Buster Keaton's masterpiece. Then To Live and Die in L.A., William Friedkin, four stars. I think we spoke to him about the uh, car chase from that in a recent sizzle town. Rest in peace, Mr. Friedkin. Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, Paul Schrader. That's a film a lot of people like. I've only given it two. Probably couldn't uh, understand anything that was going on. I'm just going, when is a fat man going to start vomiting? And finally, we made it, everyone. Police Academy 3, back in training, also gets just one star. Uh, There it is. In the words of that bloke's wife, he's reading a fucking list. But it's over. That really was too long, wasn't it? I congratulate anyone who is still listening. The problem is you commit to this idea and then you've got to do it. (laughs) And I've just realised I left a film out. Number 117, Brian De Palma's Obsession. Probably because of the very disturbing incest content. Two stars. All right, that is over. All right, time to play an old sketch. Now, first I should say thanks to everyone who sent us a nice comment about our season finale, especially the bit at the end with Pete Smith doing The Falls Totally Wired. That was a lot of fun explaining to Pete who Mark E. Smith was. But as he said, I had no idea who Aerosmith were when you had me do Dude Looks Like a Lady. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I do quite a lot of stuff with Pete. I've been working with Pete, misusing his talents for 35 years. And I now do another show with him, a podcast called From the Hideout with Pete and Joven Caro. That comes out every month. And on a recent episode of that, we played something from Martin Malloy called Virtual Pete, which actually predicted the, um, the use of uh, sampling people's voices for AI. Uh, And, yeah, you can hear that in episode five of From the Hideout. And that led me to going for a rummage in the Martin Malloy archives. I thought, let's find something else with Pete Smith, something that hasn't been heard for a quarter of a century. And uh, I've come up with something called Pete's Pad. Now, I should explain. Tom Gleisner used to always make me laugh talking about this show that was on in the mid-70s on Australian TV, hosted by a woman called Vi Greenhalf. <laughs> the show was called Vi's Pad. <laughs> used to love referring to Vi's Pad. And so that got me and Mick thinking. We claimed that Pete Smith had had a show in the mid-70s called Pete's Pad, which was ripped off air after only one episode due to a controversial incident. So that's what we're going to hear now. This is from February 1997, but it's set in the 1970s. If you got your head around that, let's hear it. Live around Australia, it's time to visit Pete's Pad, the swingin'est address on your TV dial. Dropping by the pad tonight are guests Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand, 
Michael Caine, author J.D. Salinger, director Stanley Kubrick, jumping a record 38 buses, it's Evil Knievel. Joining Pete at his celebrity spa, it's the reclusive Howard Hughes. Reforming for a special one-off musical salute to Pete, The Beatles. And spinning the Passiona wheel, it's the Shah of Iran. And now, with his bow tie set on stunning, it's Pete Smith. Baby, I need your lovin'. Got to have all your lovin'. Baby, I need your lovin'. Got to have all your lovin'. Good evening, Australia, and welcome to my pad. We'll be back with Elvis Presley and the Tony Bartuccio dancers after this word from our sponsor. Hi, Pete Smith here. After a long day at the studio, I'm ready for a drop of the good stuff. That's why I drink not-quite-right champagne-style Blackberry Nip. At just 99 cents a case, it's easily the most affordable of all the alcoholic beverages not yet approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Not quite right champagne-style blackberry nip, darling. Mmm, peppery, viscous, vision-impairing. Ask for it by name, or if you've already had one, by flailing about, clutching your throat and screaming, my God, I think I've lost all feeling in my legs. Hi, and welcome back to Pete's Pad. With me on the modular lounge suite is Michael Caine. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Pete, I was wondering if I could uh, bring out a special guest of my own. Sure. Who is it? Well, here he comes now. It's my mischievous golden retriever, Muffy. Oh, yes. He's quite a lively chap. My word. I've had him since he was a small pup. And, uh, oh, oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, no, it's going everywhere. Whoops. Well, this is live television. Oh, I know, but... Oh, oh, look, it's going all over my best pair of tad slacks. Look, I I'm sorry about this, Michael. It's just I've been drinking quite a lot of the blackberry nip. Couldn't you have waited till after the show, Pete? Muffy doesn't seem to mind. Oh, dear, and that's where the tape ends. Funnily enough, he's never mentioned it when he comes in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen to that. You too, of course. That was what we went into after pretty much every sketch, if I recall. Yeah, there it is, Pete's pad. Uh, if Matt Dow was here, there'd be a round of applause, but I have no sound effects, so um, instead I'll just have uh, Beavers and Butthead say... Fuck. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Matt's... Uh, he's on holiday at the moment with the family. You know, like what normal people do as opposed to what I do, which is not go on holiday and then take the money we would have spent on a holiday and put it aside so that we can make more episodes of our web series, Shut Up. That's how we fund it, by not going on holiday. Hoping to make uh, six more of those, hopefully later this year. First series is still up on YouTube with Deborah Lawrence and Celia Pacrola. Have a look at that if you haven't. It's free. 
And now I normally read out an old story at this point from the Scrivener's Fancy website, but I had someone say to me, can't you read out something positive? Haven't you got something uplifting to inspire people in these dark times? I went, oh, I don't know if I've got anything like that. But I had a bit of a, a, a look in the files and I found something here called Reasons to be Cheerful. So that sounds uplifting. Uh, I haven't changed it or edited it. So there's references to uh, things from the olden days like stamps and DVDs and evil Knievel. So uh, let's have a read of that now. Reasons to be Cheerful from 2010. What the hell is this crap? Shut up, Bartnacker! How about that oil slick? I said to the man who was noisily extruding me a cup of coffee at 6.30 in the morning. What oil slick? He replied. You haven't seen this? I said, holding up his cafe's already dishevelled complimentary paper. Stop reading it three weeks ago, he answered, explaining that he'd decided to give himself a break from all the gloom and doom by not reading the papers or watching the news for a full month. The man knew nothing of any hike in interest rates, failed terrorist attack, giant plume of volcanic ash, or allegedly tasteless remark about Bindi Irwin. I've heard this idea before, administering a kind of mental colonic by sequestering yourself from the flow of current events for a spell. I can't manage it myself. After a couple of days, I start to feel antsy and disconnected, and besides, I need to know what's going on in order to waste vast amounts of time composing snarky tweets. Instead, as a counterweight to the endless, creeping lava of gloom and doom that threatens to engulf us all like so many mixed metaphors, I like to make daily additions to a long list of tiny things that somehow make me feel as though everything's going to be fine. Don't worry, I'm not going all Tuesdays with Mori on you. I'm well aware that everything isn't going to be fine and that we'll all soon be regarding Mad Max 2 as a prescient documentary, save for the bits with Mike Preston. And I'm not talking about the kind of list that Woody Allen reels off at the end of the now-cancelled Manhattan full of Beethovens and Sidney Bechets and someone's fucking smile. I'm talking about the really small things that never fail to put a skip in my step, or would do if I felt that was something I could pull off without looking like a goose. Things like the feeling of satisfaction you experience when piercing with a bread knife the taut paper seal that stretches across the top of a jar of instant coffee. As a card-carrying Melbourne snob, I haven't drunk a cup of instant coffee in over 20 years, but I never miss an opportunity to knife that seal, much to the annoyance of friends, neighbours and supermarket employees. The way that, whenever you see footage or photographs of the Beatles in the studio, producer George Martin is always wearing a suit and tie. Even by the late 60s White Album period, when the boys were regularly fronting up for work, dressed as though they were appearing in a laugh-in hippie sketch, Martin was still dolled up like a 1950s BBC newsreader. Very occasionally, you'd see him sans jacket with the sleeves rolled up, presumably after a long night recording some of George Harrison's endless sitar bollocks. Discovering the DVD you've put on is one where you can skip past the copyright warnings. 
That bit in the opening titles of The Adventures of Leno and Woodley where Frank gyrates his head as he sings Got a Bit of an Inkling. The trailer for 1977's Viva Knievel. Look it up in Leonard Moulton and tell me you don't want to see it immediately. It starts with Evil, in the full gear, riding down a corridor on a motorbike fashioned to look like an eagle with stars and stripes wings while using a handgun to shoot the lock off a door. And it only gets better. When you're listening to a song in your car and what you see through your windscreen perfectly syncs up with the music, creating a kind of real-life rock video. Last week, I was driving through Kensington and passed dozens of women in full burkas while the Isley Brothers' Who's That Lady was playing on the stereo. It was so perfect that I doubled back around the block to try and recreate the moment, but they'd vanished. When you spot a really bizarre celebrity lookalike, point it out to someone else, and they say, I was thinking that too. My most recent one of these was Roberta Williams and Keanu Reeves. Getting a good result on your cholesterol test. As I see it, this immediately buys you a week where you can eat anything you want. Discovering a stash of old but still valid one-cent stamps and then posting a single letter almost entirely plastered with 60 of them. Discovering a new favourite word that you can't stop slipping into conversation. I'd been hearing and occasionally using the word sluggerbed since I was a kid without ever bothering to look up what it meant. Fortunately, as it turned out to be one of those words that sound like what they mean, a lazy person who lies late in bed, I'd actually been using it correctly. Unfortunately, I then proceeded to bore my workmates with my new word and its definition. This was on a job where I was required to get up at 6am. One morning I slept in till quarter past. This, I was informed, makes me a slugger bed. To name just 10. Now you can go back to worrying about that oil slick, the economy, or, in my case, about whether the remaining series of SCTV will ever come out on DVD. And sadly, 14 years on, it's still not available. First World Problems, we've got them at Sizzletown Unplugged. Thanks for listening, everyone. Matt Dower and The Proper Show will be back on the first Thursday in February. Until then, visit sizzletownpodcast.com to get to our merch store, YouTube channel, etc. And until next month, cheers. I was at Captain America recently and people were sitting in the cinema and there's like a massive action scene going on and there was three people in the cinema I spotted just on their iPhone. Yeah. I think they were actually watching a downloaded version of Captain America. (laughs) (laughs) What a bunch of dumbasses.